0: Well, good morning, man, it's kind of crazy getting here. You all come down Santa Santa Pass and in and out. Was the tr- was the parking kind of crazy coming in today? It was a little, not too bad. Okay, yeah, it, it's, uh, I know coming down here, I felt like a bunch of ants marching through the night, you know, coming down the pass. But uh, it's good to be here, and uh, we're continuing this series. In fact, today's a brand new uh, mini-series we're starting uh, in our major series. And so if you're uh, brand new here today, which I'm guessing we don't have a lot of brand new people because it's the weekend and so on, but do we have any uh, brand new people? First time here? Anyone today? Can you see anyone? Okay, okay, over here somewhere. I saw the hand over here somewhere. Good. Welcome. Anyone? Great. Well, a special welcome to you who are new and And then I'm sure there's some of you here that are, yeah, yeah, I'm new, but I'm not sticking my hand up. And so welcome to you too. Uh, We're glad you're here. Uh, My name is Pastor Mike, and we're going to be going into our time of teaching. And inside of your weekend program uh, is a white message note sheet that we use every week to help us kind of walk through our time of teaching. So I encourage you to take that out, if you will, and then uh, we're going to get jump in and get started. Father, thank you so much for what you're doing at our church, the way you're calling to us, the way you're you're speaking to us, the way you're uh, calling us to follow you in new and exciting ways. We're excited about that process and what's happening here at our church, and and we ask you to come and to do what you promised you'd be, to be the Lord of your church, to be the leader. Holy Spirit, we pray that you'd come and be our guide, be the one that is our mentor, that teaches us how to follow, uh, opens our eyes to new truth. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, our story starts today, a long time ago, and it's uh, it was... Uh, almost a tragedy of unbelievable proportions. Um, it, it was a nation that had just been born that almost then was, was uh, lost just a, a month or so after, it, a few months after it started. Our story starts today about 650 years uh, before the time of Moses. It's, uh, it's the time of Abraham. Uh, if you remember the story of Abraham, God calls him to leave everything familiar, leave his homeland, leave his family, leave his country, and to travel to a new country that didn't know where he was going. And and then, if he would do that, that, sure enough, God would bless him and that God would uh, turn him into a great nation. And if you remember, Abraham said yes to that, and he stepped out. And so now we're 650 years down the line. It's the time of Moses. Moses has gotten down into the nation of Israel, rescued the people, brought them out from the land through the Red Sea. Three months they travel to Mount Sinai. God shows up. Big revelation. Amazing. Uh, God speaks to him from heaven, the 10 words, we call them the 10 commandments. He makes an offer, I want to be your God, do you want to be my people? They say, yes, we do. And so they enter into this new relationship, and then they send Moses up on the mountain to get the rest of the details. While he's up there, he's up there, what, 30, 40 days? The nation below is getting restless, and they start to go back to their old ways. Now, can you relate to this? Uh, God's done something amazing in your life, and yet not very far down the line, you begin to go back to your old ways. You're going to go back. And uh, it's exactly what they had. They went back to what was familiar to them. What was familiar to them was idolatry in Egypt. Uh, idolatry was big time. They felt the need for God in their life, and they wanted a God they could see, and so they decided to build a calf, a golden calf. And so in one stroke, they they broke rule number one and rule number uh, two of the Ten Commandments. No No images, no idols, no other gods before me. And so so Moses is still up on the mountain. He's up there with with God getting the the fine print of their relationship. And God tells him what's going on. And he says, Moses, I've had it with these people. Ever since I sent you down to Egypt, they've been nothing but problems. This is the last straw. Here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking I'm going to just wipe them all out. And I'm going to start all over with you and your family and I'm going to create a new nation. After all, I've got all the time in the world. <laughs> and so, uh, so here they were uh, on the verge of, they'd just become a new nation. And they're on the verge of extinction almost uh, just before they even got started. And it was a major crisis. Well, today we're continuing this series that we've been in uh, the last, uh, what, since February. It's called The Way for those of you who are new, it's a series where we're studying the life and the teaching of the Apostle Paul, who is one of the greatest spiritual leaders, Christ followers, spiritual thinkers of all time. And what we do every week is the same, is that we start off, uh, we launch off by looking at one of his longest and most famous letters, his letter to the Church of Rome. And then we use it as kind of an entryway to to his other writings. And basically what we're asking, we're coming alongside the Apostle Paul, we're asking him to mentor us uh, as to what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to be part of this ancient movement that Jesus started that in the early church was called the way? And so today we come to chapter 9, and we're actually launching a brand new mini-series today. It's chapters 9, 10, and 11 of Romans, and uh, it's called uh, Called and Chosen. Now, if you've been with us in this series uh, through Romans 1-8, through 8, you know that so far in this series, basically what Paul's done is given us a big picture look of what God's doing in the history of the human race. How we fell away from God as a people. How God has rescued us, sent Christ to rescue us, to restore us to be the people we were supposed to be. Not only rescue us, but as we've seen the last couple of weeks, restore the whole cosmos to its original design. And what you'd expect the Apostle Paul to do at this point is now to get really practical with us. You know, he's given us the big picture, who God is, who we are, how the relationship works. Now get really practical and show us exactly what it looks like in everyday life to follow Jesus. And if you're familiar with the Apostle Paul, that's usually what he does in his letters. He starts off with big picture, and then he gets really practical towards the end. Well, here's the thing. That's exactly what he's going to do in Romans, but not until chapter 12, Okay? And he's gonna, what he's going to do is he's going to take three chapters off, and he's going to do a little sidebar. He's going he's gonna to foc- focus a little attention on a, a very important question that especially his Jewish listeners of the day had. Now, it's a question that's important for all of us, but, but especially for the Jewish listeners. And it really has a question that deals with God's integrity and can God be trusted. And here's how the question goes. Basically, if you're a Jew in Paul's day, you're asking the question. You say, okay, Paul, I get it. Uh, you're claiming that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. Remember, Messiah is the Hebrew form. Uh, Greek form is Christ. Okay, Messiah and Christ, the same word. Just, uh, you're claiming that, that Jesus is the Messiah. God made all these promises to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to Moses, to David, to the prophets, that he would one day send a Messiah who would rescue the, uh, the nation of Israel restore them to prominence, and use them to bless the whole world. That's the promise. And, and you're claiming that Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. But we got a problem. Uh, have you noticed that most of the days, of most of the Jewish people of Paul's day and even today are not buying in? They're not buying in that Jesus really is the Messiah. So what's wrong with this plan? God's got this plan, this promise, I'm going to send the Messiah, bless the whole world, bless Israel, and yet Israel's not buying in. So what's wrong with, the, with this picture? Has God changed his mind? Is he no longer working with the nation of Israel? Are they no longer the chosen people? Uh, is he going back on his word? Has his plan failed? What's happening? And for us today, it's often we don't even think of this issue, but it's a huge issue that has big implications. Because if God doesn't keep his promises to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, what's to say he's going to keep his promises to us as Christ followers in our lives right so this is the big picture question and paul's going to spend 3 chapters on it we are going to uh, we're going to spend we're going to cover those 3 chapters in four different four messages so we're going to be going through pretty uh, rapidly but of course, as Paul answers the question, he also talks to us a lot about our relationship with God, how our relationship with God works. What's our part in it? What's God's part in it? Uh, how does it all work out? What is God's plan for the history of the world? And, and, and where do the Jews and the Gentiles fit into that? And what's God doing to take the message of Jesus to the whole world? And so it's going to be a great uh, four weeks together, four messages, but today, I want to focus on just the intro to this whole section. It's the first six verses of chapter 9. And in these first six verses, Paul shares his passion for the Jewish people, these people that have all these advantages and privileges and should be coming to Christ and yet are not coming to Christ and we're going to get some insight into his heart for the lost, and as our mentor, our spiritual mentor, we're going to come alongside of him and say, what does it look like to be a Christ follower in terms of how we relate to the lost and how we feel about the lost? So there in your note sheet, if you have a, if you have a Bible, you want to turn to, to chapter 9 and turn your page of your note sheet to a section called Paul's Passion, um, and we're going to walk through the first six verses and then come back and talk about the principles for our lives. Okay, here we go. So he starts off verse one. I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. (laughs) That just makes makes you laugh. Like, that's really good to know the apostle is not lying. Isn't it? Doesn't it make you feel good? It's like, that's one of my criteria for apostles. I like it when they tell me the truth. It's like, basic apostleship one-on-one, tell the truth. And so it makes me wonder, like, well, Paul, like, it's the first time you're saying it. it's in chapter nine. Have you been lying to us up to this point, or? Um, but what's really going on here is that this is a very formal statement on Paul's part. It's almost like an oath that he's taking in a court of law. What he's about to say is extremely important, and he's like almost like going uh, with his hand held up and saying, "Okay, I'm taking an oath here. I'm, 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 I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying." He even says. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's bearing witness that my conscience is clear in this. I am telling the truth. So what he's about to say is very important and very serious. He says, and here it is. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Let me ask you something. Have you ever loved someone so much That the fact that they don't know Jesus and that they're lost is causing you great pain and unceasing anguish in your heart. Have you ever been there? There's someone in your life you care about so much and you just, you so much want them to come. And you realize if they were to die today, they'd be lost and you would never see them again. And, And it just, just it's weighing on you. It's just weighing on you their lostness. Well, this is what Paul's talking about. Lynn and I have a friend, recently we were talking with her and she just got back from vacation. She came to Christ about eight years ago, out of a pretty wild and pagan background. And we were talking with her recently and she just come back from a long vacation. She saw a lot of her grown brothers and sisters. And uh, she was sharing with us how difficult it was because she's followed Jesus for eight years. But for whatever reason, God was choosing this moment in time to open her eyes to their lostness. That if, if they were to die today, she would never see them again. And she was just sharing this, just the weight of that was just carrying, was holding her down. And there's so much pain. She comes back from this vacation. She was sharing the, the pain of that in her life. Well, that's what Paul's talking about here. He says, I, I've got this great pain. I've got this unceasing anguish. It's like always back burning. It's always there. My heart is breaking. I'm in pain for, for my own people. He said, they have got all these advantages and yet they've missed the Messiah. And so he goes on in verse uh, 3, and he says, For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Wow. Really? This is one of the strongest statements in all the Bible. I can't even begin to relate to this. You understand what Paul's saying here? Let's go back. Let's go back to the story that we started the day with. Moses on the mountain with God. God says, okay, how about this? How about I wipe them out? I'm done with them. I'll start a new nation with you. And Moses kind of goes toe-to-toe with God. He says, no, God, don't do that. This is going to look bad. This is going to look bad for your name. Because all everyone back in Egypt, they knows what happened. All they know, they won't know what they did. All they know is you brought them out here and then killed them. That's all they'll know, and this is not going to look good, you know, on your resume. and And he starts making his, his kind of pitch. and And God, well, you need to have mercy on them. Would you please forgive them? And and then he says this amazing thing. He says, "And God, if if you're not gonna if you're not gonna if you're gonna wipe them out, would you please like, um, kind of blot out my name from your book?" And we don't really know exactly what he was talking about here. We don't know. He doesn't really define it. But at the very least, what he's saying is, God, if you, if there's no future for them in your plan, uh, how about uh, no future for me either? I mean, this guy has the heart of a leader. He loves his people. And he so, said, God, I'm with them, and, and I'm with them. If you're not going to bless them, and you're not going to take care, you're not going to forgive them, then kind of, uh, I don't want to be a part of it, you see? His heart's breaking for his people. And now we have... 1,500 years later, the apostle Paul comes along, and his heart's breaking for his people. Moses' heart was breaking at the start of the first covenant there at Mount Sinai. Paul's heart is breaking at the the start of the new covenant. The Messiah has come, and and the people aren't responding. And his prayer, though, his prayer is even more amazing because there's no question what he's praying. What he's basically saying is, God, if there were a way that I could give up my salvation and go to hell for all of eternity and if by if by doing that somehow my people could come to know you i would be willing to do that now are you, are you kidding me seriously you see this love that this man has for his people this is what it says in fact there literally in the greek the word for being cursed and cut off is the word anathema if that you might ring a bell it's, just, it's, it's a technical term that he uses in other places. He's talking about, let me kind of lose my salvation. If, I, if that would make the difference, I'd be willing to do that. Now, why is his heart breaking so much? Well, what's killing him is that here's the Jewish nation, God's been preparing them for 2,000 years for the coming of the Messiah 2,000 years of preparation, 2,000 years of advantage. And yet, when the Messiah comes, they, they're missing him. And it's just breaking Paul's heart. So he begins to break down some of their advantages. In verse 4, he says, theirs is the adoption as sons. When, When the nation of Israel first came out of Egypt, God said, you are Israel, my firstborn son. They were supposed to be a nation that were true sons and daughters of the living God. Remember last week in Romans 8, we learned that when a man or a woman comes to Jesus, remember we're adopted into God's family. He says, well, that was their right. They were to be the nation that was to be adopted, and yet they're missing it. They're not coming into sonship. They're not being sons and daughters of the living God. And he goes on, and he says, theirs is the divine glory. When they came out of the the nation of Egypt, uh, they saw the glory of God at Mount Sinai firsthand. When they built the tabernacle, when they built the temple, the presence of God was so thick that came upon it, the priests couldn't even go in, the glory was so strong. And we sang about that this morning, right, in, a, in, our, in our worship time. And so of all the nations in the world, well, the world, they saw the glory of God firsthand. And yet they were, and they were destined and designed to share that glory, right? To like we've been talking about, share the glory. And yet they're missing the glory. They're not going to share the glory. And then he goes on. He says, there's the covenants, all these agreements that God had made with the nation of Israel, all the promises. Uh, He says, theirs was the receiving of the law. And this was one of the greatest gifts. God gave them the Old Testament. He he gave them the Bible to tell them who they were, who God is, how their relationship works. He gave them this incredible uh, 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 handbook on here's how to live, here's how to get the most out of life. Right? It's an amazing gift. In chapter 2 of Romans, Paul says the Old Testament law was the embodiment of knowledge and truth. In chapter 3, he said it was the very words of God. What an incredible gift. And this was the very gift that was to prepare them for the coming of the Messiah. And yet they have the book, but they're not prepared for the Messiah. You see the tragedy of this. And he goes on. He says theirs was the, the temple worship. You know, all the elaborate worship, the sacrifices, the candles, the bread, the psalms of praise, it was all speaking of the Messiah, right? Symbolically, of the one who would come and die. And yet, when the real Messiah comes and the real temple of God comes, you see, they miss it. And there's are the, all the promises. And there's are the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And from them, here's the greatest blessing of all, from them is traced the human ancestry of Christ, who is God over all. Remember, Christ is the, the word for Messiah. He's the Messiah who is God over all, forever praised. Here's the greatest blessing of all, that when God decided to invade planet Earth, he had to choose a family to be born in. He had to choose a, a, a nation to come to live with. And, and when God in, invaded planet Earth so that he could become like us, so that we could become like him, he chose the nation of Israel. He was a child of Abraham. He was the son of David. And, but remember what John said in his gospel, he came unto his own, but his own received him not. And I, I think we get so familiar with this tragedy, we don't even think much about it. But think about this, God prepares a people for 2,000 years to receive the coming of God himself to the planet. And when God comes, they miss him. And Paul, as a member of the Jewish race, it is breaking his heart. It's tearing his heart out. This is not the way it's supposed to be. But it also raises questions. It raises questions like, well, what's going on then? Has God's plan failed? Has he changed his mind? Did, are his promises no good? Has he gone back on his word? In fact, that's what Paul says in verse 6. He says it's not as though God's word had failed. Paul's going to begin to address this argument. Hey, wait a second. It sounds to me like God's plan, his promises to Abraham and Isaac. It sounds like they're failed. And and this is the issue that Paul's going to be tackling in chapter 9, 10, and 11. It's an issue about God's integrity, God keeping his word. And it's important for all of us because of that. But today... I want to focus on just these first six verses. I want to focus on Paul's passion for the lost. And what does it look like to be a Christ follower who's growing up to be like Jesus and to have a passion, God's heart, God's passion for those who are far from him. So there in your note sheet, you have a section. And it's called God's heart for the lost, pursuing those who are far from God. And we want to talk about this today. Just got to roll up our sleeves and see what are some lessons that we can learn from Paul's model here. And the first one goes like this, when we follow Jesus, we join his movement. We follow Jesus, we join his movement. Now, if you've been around Rocky Peak for any length of time at all, you probably recognize that I use this word movement a lot. It's become a very important word to me. It's a a sense that this is a very special word for our church and for our calling here. And it goes back uh, to last year. You know, this year, 2008, our big series has been in Romans, right? The way. But if you were here in 2007, you remember our big series was the Sermon on the Mount. The most famous sermon ever preached in the history of the world, the words of Jesus in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And we call that series the Message and the Movement. Because really, what Jesus is doing in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is he's laying out his core message of what it means to be a Christ follower. And then he's kind of talking about this movement that he came to launch. He called the movement the kingdom of God. And so we called it the message and the movement. Now, here's the principle. That when a man or a woman becomes a follower of Jesus, by definition, we join his movement. Now, we, we may not realize this right at first. But by definition, when we join Jesus, we join his movement. And we each have a role to play in this movement. It's a different role, but we each have a different role, a part to play. And if you were to ask Jesus, well, what is this movement about? One of the things Jesus would say, here's one way he would define it. These were his very words. He said, the reason I have come is to seek and to save those who are, remember that one? To seek and save those who are lost, right? That's how he defined it. Now, Jesus talks about this uh, in his life in Luke chapter 15. And we're not going to turn there, but just let me kind of tell you about the story. Here's what's going on. Luke chapter 15, Jesus is hanging out with some high-profile sinners, all right? And the religious authorities and leaders of the day are having trouble with this because their whole view of spirituality goes like this. If you want to get close to God, you need to be far away from anyone who isn't close to God. That was their basic approach. And so they had a hard time. Jesus was hanging out, having dinner with these high-profile sinners. And so he says, let me tell, Jesus says, let me tell you some stories to explain to you how God feels about those who are far, fr- far from God, okay? And he tells three short stories. The first story, he says, once upon a time, there was a man who was a shepherd. And the shepherd had a 100 sheep. And one of the sheep was a little rebel sheep. And so this one sheep he kind, of, he kind of goes off on his own and gets lost. And so what does the shepherd do? The shepherd, he leaves the 99 sheep in a safe spot and he goes off after the one who is strayed away. And when he finds him, he comes back and he throws a party. He invites all his friends over. He says, man, we have to celebrate because the sheep that was lost has now been found. And so Jesus says, do you understand, this is how God feels about lost people, people that are far from him. He throws a party. In fact, he says, here's the truth of the matter. If you want to know the truth, God is more excited about the, 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 one, the one sheep that was lost in the 99 who always stayed at home. That's the way it works. He says, so, okay, story number two. Once upon a time, there was a woman. She, this woman had um, 11, uh, she had 10 silver coins. Now, that may not sound like a lot of money to you, but in those days, a silver coin was a day's wages. So it's basically two weeks' wages in a very poverty-stricken land. And so this was a huge amount of money to this lady. Very likely, this was her dowry ensuring her future in her marriage. And so he says, this lady, one day she loses one of the silver coins. And she panics. And she starts looking everywhere, frantically sweeping the house, looking behind the couch, doing everything. Where did that coin go? And when she finally finds it, what does she do? She calls her friends over. She has a party. That's how God feels about lost people. He feels like the woman did about the coin. He says, in fact, let me tell you something. When just one lost person comes back to God, guess what, what happens in heaven? The angels start high-fiving. It's like, it's like they're celebrating. They're rejoicing over that one person. Then he tells the last story. Here's the story of the prodigal son, so you may be familiar with that. Son grows up, asks his dad for his early inheritance. He goes, moves from the farm into the city. Let's call it Hollywood. <laughs> and he, he moves in and he blows it all. He blows it all on, on partying, cocaine, it's in the Hebrew, and, 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 and on women. That is in the Greek. And, uh, and he blows it all. And so finally he goes through it all. Now he's bankrupt. He's basically homeless. He's starving. He finally one day realized, man, I need to go home to the farm again. Uh, I, I know that I've really lost my relationship with my dad. That's probably, you know, that can't be repaired. But at least my dad's a good guy. Maybe at least he'll give me a job. I can work with the other farmhands, live in the, the bunkhouse, something like that. And so you know the story. The father's looking out there. He sees his son coming. And what does he do? He, he, he just starts running towards his son. He can't wait to get to him. He gets there. He throws his arms around him. He hugs him. He kisses him. He starts giving orders. Get this kid some new clothes. Get him some new sandals. Uh, get a new uh, a ring. Put it on his finger. The, the, the ring of sonship that has a family seal that shows he's the real deal. He's my son. He's got authority. Let's have a barbecue, right? And so all's going well until older brother comes in from the fields and he's just totally bummed out and irritated. Why? Because this younger brother who's been such a, a jerk, he's getting the hero's welcome. And you remember what happens? The father says to him, hey, son, I understand why you feel that way, but we have to celebrate because your brother who was lost has been found. So three stories, right? The lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son, all with one point. This is how God feels about lost people. And he is passionate about them. And, and so then four chapters later in the book of Luke, Jesus has a real life case story, case study of a man who's a high-flying, uh, uh, very wealthy but shady businessman who's been ripping people off his whole life, who finally comes to Christ and his life is changed. And when Jesus sees that happen, and everyone's blown away that this guy comes, here's what Jesus says. In fact, it's there in your note sheet. Look at this verse. Jesus says, this is what it's all about, Luke 19.10. He says, the son of man, which was his name for himself, he said, the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. He says, just see, see what happened to this guy. This guy was far from God, and now he's come back to God. He says, this is why I came. This is what it's about. This is what my movement's about. And here's the point. When you and I become a follower of Jesus, we become a part of that movement. And we may have a different role. We're not all apostles. We're not all pastors. We're not all teachers. We're not all evangelists. We don't all have the gift of evangelism. But we all are to to share the same passion. You see? We share the same passion. We share the same priority of the movement. You understand? That we each do our part in advancing the movement. Remember, this is how Jesus put it in this Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6. Remember, famous verse, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And everything else, got to take care of the rest. He says, as followers of Jesus, we're to be about the movement. We're to say, what is my part in that movement? And so part of us growing up to be like, like Jesus is to develop his heart for those who are far from God. You see, that's part of growing up to being like Jesus. And one of the things I love about the Apostle Paul is his total heart here. He says, man, I've got unceasing pain. I've got great anguish in my heart for these, these brothers of my Jewish, they don't know Christ. They're lost. And it's just so this is paining me. Well, what's happened? Paul has come to Jesus, and now Jesus' heart and Paul's heart are beating as one. So when we first come to Jesus, it's all about us, Right? It's about our salvation. It's about our relationship. It's about our life. It's about getting fixed. But as we continue to follow Jesus, it becomes less and less or should become less and less about us. It's more about those who are out there who don't know him, right? That we want to be part of that movement to reach them, okay? So that's the first thing that stands out to me from this passage is that when we we become a follower of Jesus, we become part of his movement, and that's a movement to seek and to save the lost. Now, number two. The second principle goes like this, that if we want to save the lost, we have to pay the cost. There's a price tag for this. If you want to be part of the movement, you want to influence people for the movement, um, there's a cost to you. It might be time. It could be energy. It could be money. It could be reputation. It could be popularity. It could be something more than that, Um, But there'll be a a, a price. And you see that. The apostle Paul's paying that price in his life. He talked about it in chapter 9, verse 2. He's already talked about this unceasing grief in his heart, right? And so when you care about someone and you love someone and they're lost and you really care about them, it's painful, isn't it? You've got an issue in your life. You've got a back burner issue that's there. And there's a price you pay. The Apostle Paul, though, was willing to pay whatever price. And this is what strikes me in chapter 9 and verse 3. Let's take a look at that again. This amazing statement. For I could wish that I myself were cursed, cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. He says, I'm willing to pay whatever price it takes to help people come to Christ, to help them be found. Now, this wasn't just words. These weren't just words for the apostle Paul. This is his life, and I want to show you—he he lived it out in things big and small. All right. So take your Bibles, and I want you to turn to Second Timothy. Turn to the right in your Bibles so to Second Timothy chapter two. I'm going to show you how he lived out in big things, how he lived out in small things, and then talk about how we live it out in our life. So Second t- Timothy chapter two. In verse 8, let me set it up. Paul's uh, in prison. It's the end of his life. He doesn't know exactly when he's going to die. He knows it's coming to an end. He's in prison. It's dark. It's dank. It's damp. It's, uh, he's chained. And he's writing to this young uh, person that he's mentoring, the, uh, uh, the uh, pastor, Timothy. And he says in verse 8, he says, Timothy, remember Jesus Christ. Uh, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. Timothy, don't forget what it's all about. It's all about Jesus. He says, for which I'm suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure, catch this, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. He says, I'm willing to endure all this hardship for the sake of those who will one day come to know Christ through my ministry. I'm willing to be chained. I'm willing to give up my life. I'm willing to go through suffering. I'm willing to pay the price that other people can come to know Christ. It says that, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Remember, we've been talking about that, how we're destined for glory. It's funny, in the Bible, after you learn a new truth like that, you start seeing it everywhere. Just like when you buy a new car, you see it everywhere. And so we've been talking about glory. You see this, we're destined for eternal glory. And here he says it again. Well, what Paul says is, Hey, I'm willing, to, I'm willing to pay whatever the price in order to help people come to Christ. If I need to be in jail, if I need to be chained, I, I'm ready to do that. If that's what he's willing. To so he, he was willing to pay the price in big things, and he would eventually, within a short time, be beheaded for his faith. But he was also willing to pay the price in smaller things, and this is where I think really applies to us here now. If you go to the left in your Bible, go to, to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. A fascinating passage where Paul talks about his philosophy of ministry as a whole approach to reaching people for Christ. And here's basically what he says. He says, "You know, I'm willing to give up my personal preferences in order to help people come to Jesus." He said, for example, "When I'm around conservative people, I become more conservative." When I'm around more liberal people, I become more liberal. Now I'm not willing to sacrifice my basic core morality. I'm not gonna make compromise, moral choice, you know, or ethical compromise, but I'm willing to give up my personal preference in order to reach people for Christ. Because he understood a basic principle that like attracts like. And so if, if you and I have something in common, like you like sports and I like sports then we, there's kind of a connection there between us, and I, there's more likelihood I could influence you if you see us as similar, right? And so Paul understands this principle. So he says, when I'm with conservative people, like the Jews, I get more conservative. When I'm with, like, my Gentile buddies, I get more liberal. He says, so like, so like when I'm with the Jews, you know, I, I don't order a BLT when we go out to lunch, you know? When I'm at my Gentile neighbor's house, he says, you want a beer? I say, sure, I can have a Budweiser. He's I'll kind of flex to who I need to be as long as it's not a moral issue in order to help people come to Christ. That's what he's going to say. Now, let's, let's see how he says it. Chapter 919. He says, though I'm free and I belong to no man. In other words, I'm really a free agent. I can do what I want. I make myself a slave to everyone. Now, catch that. I make myself a slave. I'll give up my rights. Why? To win as many as possible. So to the Jews, they're more conservative, I become like a Jew to win the Jews. And to those under the law, I become like one under the law, the Jewish law, though I myself am not under the law. I don't have to follow these laws. I, I know that through Christ I don't have to do that, but I'm willing to do it. So as to win those who are under the law. Now to those who not having the law, you know more liberal people, I become like one not having the law. Though I'm not free from God's law and the moral law, and I'm under Christ's law under the law of love, so as to win those who are uh, who are uh, not having the law. Verse 22: To the weak, and in Paul's terminology, weak always refers to legalistic people. Okay, legalistic spirituality. He says, "To the weak, I become weak in order to win the weak." And catch this: I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means. I might save some. You see what he's saying? I'll, I'll give up my preferences. I'll change my way. I'll, I'll flex here or there. I'll be this way all day. You have long hair, I'll get long hair. You know, like what, what do I need to be? You know, how can I relate to you better? How can I establish some common ground so that you'll have a, a greater chance to the, for me to share Jesus and have an influence in your life? he says in verse 23, I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share his blessings. And so Paul says there's a price to pay. And sometimes that price is giving up our personal preferences. Sometimes it's kind of getting outside of our comfort zone if that's what it takes to help people come to Christ. Now, let me give you an illustration for us here as a church. I think this applies to us. You know, as a church here, we are very much, we're a church that our weekend services are designed for followers of Jesus, right? That's what we're designed for. Um, that, that our weekend services are designed to help you grow and become like Jesus and experience him in your life. And so that's why we do what we do. That's why we, we have extended worship at the front. That's why it could give you a chance to experience God and encounter God. That's why we, we uh, teach 45 or 50 minutes each week. That's why we don't do kind of two, two little verses, uh, a, a thought for the day, a poem, a special music, and we go home. Because we don't think that that really transforms people; it doesn't really change people, and that's what we're all about. And so our services are designed for Christ followers, right? Okay, bought, but we're working really hard to make them accessible to the non-believer, to, to people that that are, are here for the first time, that have never been church, that this is all brand new for them. Now the interesting thing is, is that um, many times people will say, "Well, you can't really do that." You can't, you can't have a church that's really um, addressed to, to Christ followers. It's serious. It's digging in the word and all that kind of thing and still be um, kind of accessible for, for, for nonbelievers. But we just believe that you can. And so that's why we do what we do. That's why we use the music we use. That's why we with contemporary music. Uh, why? Because we want music that Southern Californians would listen to, right? Something you turn on the radio you could actually find on the radio, that's why we dress the way we do on stage. That's why we're, we're casual. Why? Because we live in Southern California. It's a very casual culture. To the weak, you're the weak. To the strong, you're the strong. To the Jew, you're the Jew. To the Southern Californians, you're Southern California. You see? We're reaching out. To, that's why we work so hard to make our teaching here, whether it's Dave or Joel or me, that's why we work so hard to make it so colloquial and try to make it very clear. You know, I have people come to me all the time saying, "Michael, I appreciate your teaching because it's so clear." Well, you know, we work really hard on that to make it clear. It's easy to be confusing. <laughs> you know, it's easy to use big words. It's easy if you're wired like me to be philosophical and talk in long sentences. You got to really work at. No, let's get this thing clear. Let's get rid of words like sanctification or eschatology, or let's like who knows what that stuff means. Let's break this thing down. Let's take the message of Jesus and put it in the language of today so people that can come in who know nothing about Jesus and never been at church, they can latch on and they can get it. And you know, the exciting thing is, is it is happening. I'll tell you what, you say, how do you know it's happening? Because every month we have at least one of these welcome desserts at our our house. And every month we talk to these newcomers and we say, "Uh, why did you first come to Rocky Peak and why do you come back? And you know, over and over again, they say the vast majority of these people are unchurched people. The vast majority are people that, that haven't don't know Jesus or haven't had a relationship with Jesus, and this whole thing's brand new. And they're coming in, and they're saying we're loving it. We're understanding it. For the first time, we understand what you're saying. We love the worship. We're connecting with the music. And they're excited, and they're coming to Christ, and they're getting baptized. And what what, what many have said is impossible is happening here, that we have a church designed for Christ followers, but it's being presented in such a way that people that are unchurched, that it's all brand new, that they're coming in, and they're latching on, and they're getting it, and they're coming to Christ, and their life's being changed, you see? And that's what Paul's saying. He said, I will become all things to all men so that, by some, by the, so that some can be saved. And I want to thank, uh, just as your pastor, I want to thank many of you who have been here at Rocky Peak the longest. Because I know that there's many of you here, you've been here for many years, and you've seen so many changes. And even the last three years since I've been here, a lot of changes and often it's been hard. And often it's not been your preferred style. And I understand that. I totally get that. And I just want to thank you because there's so many of you have said, you know what? It's not my preferred style. It's not the way I do it. It's not the music I want. I, I, wish, I wish the music was different. I wish it wasn't so loud. <laughs> um, I, I wish my pastor looked something like a pastor. You know, I, I, I wish, could he just wear a suit or maybe a sport coat, at least some shoes, you know, just anything. <laughs> Anything that would tell me he's a pastor, you know, and not just some guy walking up there. And and, and I understand that. I totally get that. And I just want to bless you because so many of you have said, you know what? It may not be my preferred style, but I sense the church growing. I sense people coming alive to Christ. I'm coming alive to Christ. I, I sense new people coming. I I hear the stories of changed lives. And if that's what it takes to reach our generation for Jesus, like the Apostle Paul, I'll give up my preference in order to reach our generation. You see? (laughs) Man, and and as your pastor, I want, there's a lot of you are new and you're just like, what are you even talking about? We just love it like this, you know? But I know there's a lot of you here that's not been easy, but you have served, and you have been faithful, and you have given, and you have prayed, and you have said, man, it's not exactly what I would want, but I sense God's doing something, and I want to be a part of that. And I just say, God bless you. Thank you for that, because what's happening is this church is becoming part of a movement the movement of Jesus Christ. And this church is becoming a city on the hill, and we're seeing it every month in these welcomes. You know, can I tell you, last, last uh, Saturday night, we had a, a couple there, brand new, never been church before, kind of a wild background, and they're like, we don't know what's happening to us. We've only been coming five weeks. We've gone through some things in our life, and this is all new to us, and we don't even get this, but something's going on. All I can tell you is every week, the message is like, it's just for us. And can you tell us what we need to do? You know? I think of the one before that. And we had about, you know, the, 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 the room packed. And it's like, I'm going around. And it's like, wow, we just had that baptism with 92 people baptized. I think a lot of these people were there. How many were just baptized? Five hands. Brand new. Brand new to the Lord. Brand new, you see. And they're coming in and they're latching on. And they're saying, we are getting it. We're we're eating up the word. And I'm like, this is unbelievable. We're directing our services to Christians, we're teaching the book of Romans, one of the hardest passages in all the Bible. The church of Jesus Christ is growing in the book of Romans, and these people that have never been to church before are coming in and saying, I get it. And like, this is a miracle. This is a miracle. It's the church of Jesus. The church of Jesus, learning how to follow Jesus, and people coming in and saying, I want some of that. And isn't that what the church is to be all, around, uh, all about? So for those of you who've been here and put up and been patient and asked God for patience and asked God to forgive me, (laughs) just be with him. You're so messed up. Thank you. Thank you for going beyond your preference and being willing to give up like the Apostle Paul, your personal preference in order to reach this generation for Jesus. Okay, number three. Now, the last principle goes like this. That if we want to make a difference, then we have to make the most of every opportunity. This is what Paul's going to say. He's going to say, okay, so we're part of the movement. You follow Jesus, you become part of the movement. The movement is to reach the lost. There's going to be a cost involved. We have to move past our preferences. There's times we're going to have to use our energy, our time, our money, and so on. It's going to cost us, and so we get that. But he says there's one more thing. If you want to be part of this movement... You have to develop a movement mentality. And this is what I'm praying for our church, that we develop a movement mentality. And what that means is we realize that we're all part of this, and we're all on the clock 24-7 as representatives of the movement. And so we all are on the clock, whether it's at our jobs, our homes, our communities, our our families, whatever. We're we're always on the clock, and and that God is going to give us opportunities to speak to those who are outside the movement, to kind of invite them in. Now, before you jump ahead and you say, oh, I think I know this is where this is going, just hang on here, uh, and don't let your mind do that. Because, well, I going to, it'll probably be a little different than you think. But there in your note sheet is where this, this verse comes from. Obviously, Paul in Romans 9, this is on his mind all the time, this kind of making most of the opportunity. But in Colossians 4, 6, he spells this out. He says, be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Now, catch that. He says, be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Use your head. Be strategic in the way that you relate to those who are outside the movement. Outsiders. And he says, and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of condemnation. (laughs) uh Oh, heresy version. Let your conversation always be full of what? Grace. So he says, the best way to be influential to outsiders is to be winsome, to be full of grace, to be people that add value, that add positive energy to a situation. The way to to extend the movement is not to be negative condemnation, it's to be full of grace. And he says, uh, seasoned with salt so you may know how to answer everyone. Now, So he says, what Paul is saying is this, you need to make the most of every opportunity. God's going to give you opportunities to advance the movement in your everyday life. You need to make the most of it. Now, what does this look like? Well, um, I think what, let's talk about what he doesn't look like. I mean, is is Paul saying, hey, we need to be one of those people that on every bus, every train, every intersection, we're always sharing the four spiritual laws or or sharing the message of Jesus? Um, I, I don't think so. In fact, here's what I believe. I believe in our Southern California culture that that is usually more counterproductive than productive. That, that most people, when we come on really strong about uh, Jesus or every other word where we're saying praise God or, or everything where it's like here's a verse for the day for you or whatever, that, t- that typically it just turns most people off. That it puts up walls. It's, it becomes like an obstacle to them coming to Christ. It doesn't like, inv- it doesn't, it's not winsome. It's not like, oh, thank you for sharing that thought. That was really good. Praise God yourself. You know, it's like, it's like really just more offensive. It just comes across as weird. And so what we need to be as a movement is we just need to be normal people who love people who are Christ followers. And what happens is that people will ask questions. If you're just kind of normal, you love people, you're relating to people, they're going to hear you talking about your life group. And they're going to come and talk. They're go, well, hey, could you tell us, like, what is that life group? You're always talking about the life group. You love that life group. You know? Or maybe they'll talk that that church here. Always, man, you love going to church, don't you? Yeah, I really do. I love my church. Really, I, I hated my church when I was growing up. Like, like why do you love it? You know? And there's just kind of natural opportunities you know, that are just going to come up. That when You're talking about kids or whatever, that they're going to they're, they're go through a crisis and they're, they're going to come to you and they're going to say, could you pray for me about this? Or you'll have the opportunity to say, hey, would you mind if, if I just uh, prayed for you in that situation? No, I'd love that. You know? And there's going to be little opportunities. And Paul says, when that happens, just make the most of it. Let me give you a couple illustrations. I was listening to a, a podcast with uh, Rick Warren and, uh, from Saddleback Church, and uh, Rick gave a couple great illustrations of his, of his own life recently. He was saying, like, okay, here's, here's illustration number one. He's, he's in the line at Albertsons, and he's getting some groceries, and uh, the guy in front of him has forgotten to get his two 20-pounds of bags of ice. And so he says, the guy in front of him says to the checkout lady, he says, uh, excuse me, um, he says, you know, I forgot my, my ice, um, and so I, I'm really sorry, but I guess I'll to, could you put my groceries aside over here, and then I'll go get my ice, I'll get back in the line, and and, and, and she says, she turns to Rick, and she says, hey, would you mind if he just uh, just went and got the ice, so we could just wait for him so he wouldn't have to do that? Rick said, well, oh, that'd be fine, he says, um, in fact, he said, um, uh, why don't I just, why don't I just pay for his two blocks of ice? He, he turns to the guy, he says, you know, the ice is right there by the door on the way out. I'll just pay for them, put on my ticket, and you can just take off and leave. And the checker looks at Rick and says, who are you? <laughs> and the guy in front of him that he'd never met before turns around and goes, oh, that's Rick Ward from Saddleback Church. <laughs> and here's what the, the lady said, the checkout. the lady says, you know I've got a twenty nine year old daughter who might be interested in a church like that. you see? Rick had a great comment he says, now we as as Christ followers we've got a we've got a, a choice here. We can either uh, put a button on that says, i am saved and you're going to hell." <laughs> or we can buy someone a twenty pound you know twenty pound uh, bag of ice you see he he said, you know uh, witnessing is not rocket science. It starts with just being nice to people, right? A uh, second story. He's going back to the pharmacist. pharmacist. He's getting some anti malarials. He's traveling to Africa for his peace plan thing. And so he's, he's on his, he's, he orders it, he, he, the, the pharmacist comes out, the lady says, she says, oh, anti-malarial. She says, oh, where are you going? He says, Africa. And she says, well, what are you going to do there? And he says, no, I could have gone into this long explanation, you know, of, well, I'm with this church and this thing, and we're going to take the gospel of Jesus, and do you know the gospel of Jesus, and here's the force for and kind of walk through the whole thing. But he didn't. He just, all he said to her, he said, you know, we're just going to uh, help the sick and to, uh, to feed the poor. And she said, well, c- could I have your, your name and your, your email address? And he said, well, well, sure, but why? He said, well, I- I'd love to give some money to you to help with that, that project. And so he says, okay. So he writes his email down, writes his name down, gives it to her, and she goes, no way. <laughs> and she says, uh, "She says, uh, you know, my dad read your book. I've never read your book, but my dad read your book, you see, and it was the first step of a conversation, you see? And, and God gives us kinds of opportunities all the time if we're alert to them. We don't have to tell the whole message of Jesus. We don't, all we have to do is love people, be in relationship with people, and then when God gives us an opportunity, you just take, you make the most of the opportunity. And when they want more, you give them more. You don't cram it down, you just, you just throw a little out there. If they want more, you give them more. You see? Like Peter says be always ready to give an answer to everyone who asks. <laughs> I, important line. And then when they ask <laughs> Okay. And then uh, and then when they ask, hey, there comes a time we can invite them, right? And then we can invite them to a church that's gonna blow their mind. A church is different than any church they've gone to. A church they can actually understand what's being said, they can relate to the music, they don't have to dress special and they don't have to to come coat and tie and look like they're dressed like on any other time in their lives. They can just come be themselves, and they can meet Jesus. And one last story, then we'll close. June 29th of this year, there was a lady, it was her first week at Rocky Peak. Uh, Never been here before. She'd grown up going to church some, but kind of a bad experience. Hadn't been in church in a long time, and didn't really, uh, wasn't really interested, but she works with a couple people for years who go to Rocky Peak. And, and they actually hang out together often. A bunch of them at Marie Callender's at the bar area. And so um, one day they noticed that she was, she was down. She was depressed. And so they, they just both invited her and said, hey, you know, man, we, really, we, you know, we love our church. And it's really encouraging to us. You know, if you'd, ever like to, if you'd like to come with us this weekend, we'd just love to have you. And she was at a point in her life she was hurting. She said, you know, I think I'd really like that. And so she came. And it was on Rome, the week we were talking about Romans 5, God's love. Remember the story behind the story? The God who loves us so, so much that he, 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 could, he sent his son to die rather than live without us? Remember that? And she hears the message of Jesus, and God speaks to her heart. She gives her life to Jesus that day, June 29th of this year. One week later, we baptized 92 people. Remember that? She was one of those 92 people. I saw her here last night in the service as I'm telling that story, third row in over here, growing, excited about the church, excited about the Lord, excited about her new walk. Why? Because two people from Rocky Peak didn't cram something down her throat. They just made the most of the opportunity. And she came, and God did the rest when she came to a place where she could relate, a church for Southern Californians. And the movement of Jesus marches on. And that's what it's all about. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful for what you're doing here, the way you're taking us, the way you're waking us up, the way you're shaping and molding us. And God, for some of us, it's been hard. It's been hard changing. It's been hard being flexible. And yet, God, we want to grow more than we want to be comfortable. And we want to reach people even beyond our personal preference. And so, God, we thank you for what you're doing and the movement that we are becoming here at this church, part of the movement of Jesus Christ to seek and to save those who are lost. And we pray that you'd give us a heart and your passion and that as we grow as Christ followers, we begin to care more about the things you care about. And the Apostle Paul is our mentor, is our model, that we become more like him with an unceasing grief in our heart for those who are far from you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As we bring our service to a close.